0: Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia Politics Podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And in this podcast, you'll hear an interview that I did with State Representative Eric Allen, a Democrat from Smyrna. I reached out to Representative Allen as a part of this discussion that we are having on the podcast this week about solutions to the problem of police brutality that are being demanded by demonstrators following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Representative Allen joined the podcast to tell us about the agenda that Democrats in the Georgia House of Representatives will pursue in response to this crisis. And when we talked, the first two planks of the Democrats' agenda had been released. These are the repeal of the state's citizens arrest law and the state's Stand your ground law, both of these in the context of the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Since we talked, Democrats have released the full slate of proposals that they will pursue. When the legislature comes back into session in mid June, you can find more information about those proposals linked in the show notes for today's show. You'll also hear portions of this conversation in the broader episode that we published today, describing this issue more fully and the challenges that policymakers face and everything else that's been going on in this situation. Uh, But without further ado, I will turn it over to my conversation with Eric Allen, a Democratic representative from Smyrna. Joining the podcast is Georgia State Representative Eric Allen, a Democrat from Smyrna. Representative Allen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. So we're speaking on Saturday following a week of demonstrations against police brutality in cities across Georgia and across the country. Can you reflect for us about how you hope the message from demonstrators that's been sent on the streets this week, how you hope that message is absorbed by leaders in our state and local governments?
1: You know, I think the message is twofold, not only in what they've been saying, uh, but also in the makeup of the demonstrators. Uh, You have a very diverse cross section of, you know, racial demographic, age demographic, socioeconomic demographic. I think the message is very clear that we are ready for a real conversation about race in this country, uh, and in the state for that matter. So I, I I'm very hopeful that although it may be a uphill battle to get to the policy part of it, I think the conversation is ready to be had.
0: Also woven into this, something that I've observed as I've watched the news over the past week is how demonstrators and bystanders have been treated by police when they have taken to the streets. On Tuesday, police in Atlanta fired tear gas and rubber bullets into a crowd in an attempt to disperse protesters a full two hours before a curfew was set to go into effect. And this follows the events of the weekend where several police officers participated in violently tasing and removing two college students from their car in downtown Atlanta. Can you give us your view of whether the approach by police officers to demonstrators and and bystanders who have at times gotten looped into this, can you give us your assessment of whether that treatment by police has been appropriate?
1: In the the instances that you, you just mentioned, no. Um, I think we've seen the best and the worst of policing um, and really get to the core of some of the problems. Um, I, I think when you have people that are peacefully protesting that are met with the resistance of an, of an army, uh, and, and for better or worse, it just it heightens tensions. Um, and I think on the nights where you've seen the police take more of a um, cooperative approach to... Actually, serve and protect the demonstrators as much as uh, you know anything else. I think you've seen those tensions uh, taken down. So, uh, the behavior of those specific instances that you mentioned are absolutely not appropriate, um, and sh- and can't be tolerated. Um, it, it's really the purpose of why these people are taken to the streets to to make their voices heard about some of the behaviors and treatments of police, and and it also is brought up not just in Atlanta but but across the, the country. Um, it's really shown a spotlight on the way police treat citizens in some cases, and if it's not on video, then there's a completely different narrative pushed forward. And, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm very hopeful once again that what, what some of this is going to do is bring more reality uh, or more awareness that it's not always a true statement. Uh, or an accurate statement, just because it's coming from from the police.
0: So you're a member of the House Democratic Caucus, and you and other members of that caucus are rolling out a package of 10 legislative proposals to reform criminal law in this state. And we're going to talk about two of those concrete proposals that have been released here in a moment. But first, can you describe for us broadly what the goal of this entire reform agenda will be?
1: I, you know, I, think, I think the title tells you, um, you know, it's the Justice for All package. Uh, it's going to be, as you said, 10 pieces of, of legislation that are really, you know, geared at not just policing uh, in America uh, or in Georgia, but also, um, you know, things like stand your ground and, and use of force and citizens' arrest and really getting at, you know, the core of some of the, the systemic problems uh, that we have in, in, in Georgia. As it relates to uh, race and disparities in policing.
0: So the leader of your caucus, Representative Bob Trammell, he previewed the first two planks of this reform agenda last week. You mentioned these. It's the repeal of the citizen's arrest statute and the stand your ground statute, which authorizes a person to use deadly force if they feel threatened and removes what is known as a, a duty to retreat from dangerous situations. Can you describe for our listeners what effect you hope the repeal of these two policies would have?
1: You know, I I think specifically, you know, if if you look at the Aubrey case, uh, you know, that that situation was clearly um, a misuse or a a misapplication of both Stand Your Ground and Citizens Arrest. Um, You know, there are plenty uh, of ways for someone to defend themselves legally without having language that says you do not have the duty to retreat. Um, <clears throat> you know, if, if you are met with um, you know, something that may cause you harm, you have a right to defend yourself. Um, what we don't want is for someone to feel they have the right to pursue and the right to hunt someone down. Um, you know, Once you start doing that, that's more vigilante justice than it is uh, any of the intentions that were originally behind citizen's arrest or stand your ground. So we just have to be very mindful that some things just need to be um, looked at. And in this case, I I firmly believe that they should be repealed. Uh, There are other ways to achieve the goal that they're meant to achieve uh, without the current statute staying in place.
0: I'd like to introduce another issue here that I have not seen discussed as it relates to the treatment of civilians by police, tied in with this discussion that is forthcoming over the state budget. So police are often the first responders in cases of people experiencing crisis mental health situations, and some estimates suggest that as many as one in four fatal police encounters ends the life of someone with a serious mental illness. Some of the ambitious reform agendas that I've been looking at and thinking about this week suggest that governments should be investing more in mental health professionals and centering them, rather than police, in addressing mental health crises, sometimes having them be first responders, you know, the people who show up rather than somebody with a gun. But state and local governments face budget crunches related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And these budget crunches are likely to result in cuts to these services, rather than greater investments in them. What concerns do you have about cuts to mental health spending in our state, particularly as it interacts with this issue of how police treat civilians experiencing mental health issues? Well,
1: I think you explained it really well. And, you know, before I ran for office, um, the job I resigned from to run for office was with the Department of Behavioral Health Developmental Disabilities. Um as, as director of education for them and so it's an issue that I'm very very close to and I've really been advocating for you know as a legislator um, we've over the years as budgets have been cut providing services for mental health we have started to use our law enforcement and our jails quite frankly as treatment facilities for mental health um, that that has to change I think when you're looking at budget cuts the way that we are um, right now and you know, two of the key areas with DDHD with that may see the biggest cuts are going to come in substance use disorders and in mental health and those are two areas where we just can't criminalize those illnesses. Um, they are true health concerns. Uh, they are not criminal acts. Um, to be episodic or to be you know in the middle of a um, a mental health crisis uh, is not justification for law enforcement to make that a criminal uh, incident. So we we really do need to make sure that as we go through the budget, that we're very mindful of how we do the cuts. As I've said many times, we we should not use this time to cut education and healthcare and the Department of Naval Health when there are other ways to to get at these cuts or or to get to the numbers that we need to get to while keeping some of these programs whole. We've done a really good job uh, over the last couple of years with diversion programs, uh, jail diversion programs for... Uh, substance use, uh, DUI, uh, you know, other other situations. I want to make. I would really like to see that those stay in place. Um, but I think what you brought up earlier about just a mindset and making sure that we have the right responders that are part of the first responder core to deal with people um, that are in crisis or having uh, issues that can be dealt with with a different type of intervention than law enforcement or, or quite frankly, jail.
0: For Democrats in the legislature, it may be an uphill battle to enact serious reforms to policing practices or the initial two planks in the agenda that we discussed, or even for Democrats to preserve funding in the state budget for essential services that can sometimes be alternatives to policing how much are you and your Democratic colleagues looking at November as an inflection point for more widespread policy change in this state? I mean, it's, it's, it's simple math. I mean, if, if, if the Democratic
1: caucus can expand, um, which we're hopeful we can in November, uh, to the point of even, you know, becoming the majority in the legislature, it, it gives considerable leverage um, for us to be able to negotiate and to, to enact uh, policies. Uh, it, it also will give the opportunity to pass you know, pieces of legislation and then you know, allow people you know, that may dissent or either try to make it better or just you know, vote no and, and let the public know where they stand. It, it's, it's past time to start taking the actions needed to make sure that we do have, as we call it, justice for all, And I think that winning a a majority in November for the Democratic Caucus will, will go a long way to making sure we can do that.
0: So I think a lot of people in our politics and in discussions around politics and policy are doing a lot of reflecting this week, having seen the demonstrations, these demonstrations obviously following the murder of George Floyd. Are there other things that are on your mind in this moment that our listeners should hear about as it relates to policy changes that face lawmakers or the societal challenges, you know, the broader discussion around these issues, anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think from from a broader standpoint, I mean, accountability is the word. Um, We really have to find a way um, to bring accountability, accountability to policing. I I think for me personally, that's been one of, you know, more of an overarching theme. Uh, When you have, you know, officers or members of law enforcement who uh, can falsify reports uh, of an incident and not have severe punishment, Um, when those um, complaints against law enforcement are kept from the public um, and and not disclosed in a way in which we should be, you know, able to to have that transparency. When we hear of law enforcement turning off their body cameras because, you know, right before they engage in an arrest or or an official act, and and there's no consequence. I mean, those are all things that I think we should be be looking at. Uh, And and we also should be working, you know, as the legislators, uh, you know, with our local uh, municipalities and counties, uh, you know, every police agency that, that wishes to, you know, start looking at their own internal policies. And look for all those unconscious and conscious biases that they may have. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of different groups over the last couple of weeks. You know, since this started, and almost every conversation re- reveals some blind spot. Um, and it may be a blind spot that I have, um, but, but more so blind spots that, that law enforcement or or non-black um, officials may have. Uh, and we just we we need those conversations, and we need to start looking. At all of those policies, and I would argue not just at policing, but go all the way down through housing, uh, through parks and rec, through transportation, through—I mean—all of these things have this systematic, uh, you know, embedded, unconscious or conscious racism that we have to have serious conversation about and root out. So, you know, my personal reflection over the last couple of weeks is how do I get more engaged in that? How do I be make sure that it's a constructive and a value conversation? Um, about racism and race and how that plays a role in our communities. And then from a state perspective, how can we provide overarching, um, as we just talked about, funding, support, um, either, you know, be, be technical support or just more support uh, to help get things done in the local communities.
0: All right. Well, Representative Eric Allen, we really appreciate you joining the show and sharing your views today. All right. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks, as always, to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.